Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication, and for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Hello, hello, well women. So it's the week before the midterm elections in the U.S. We've had a lot going on here. Um some good things and some bad things in uh, in the news, making the news, um, to the point where people are really fragile and really hurting and really wanting to make a difference. And so the way that we can do that is to vote early or vote on November 6th. Um, And let's see what we can do, if we can turn this ship around. Um, On the show today, I'm speaking with um, Lucy Sullivan, who is uh, Executive Director of 1000 Days, an advocacy organization um, working to improve maternal and young child nutrition, particularly during the critical first 1000 days. And I thought this was a great uh, interview to air today because of the whole question of what is your role in advocacy and what is your role in public policy? What is your role in the electoral process? Are you voting? Are you helping elect candidates? Have you been out canvassing and um making phone calls and fundraising for candidates? Or are you actually running for office? All of these are different forms of being involved. And um, I want to really honor you for wherever you are in that journey, as long as you're doing something. Uh, The notion that we're too busy to get involved or that we just want to remain positive and so we can't really get involved in advocacy or politics 
it's really a self-protective mechanism that doesn't actually work. You think you're protecting yourself against or from uh, negativity and politics, but actually what you're doing is creating more of what you don't want by not being involved. So this is my plea to you here on The Well Woman Show to amplify your voice through your actions. We can make a difference when we speak up and when we take action. We only have our voice and our body, right? Those are the two things that we can do anything with. We can speak up and we can go vote or go do actions. And so I encourage everyone to participate. And if you have a story about how you participated or what you did, or you have questions about how to get more involved, um, go over to Facebook, over to our, our group. Um, actually, you can go to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. It'll take you straight there. And we can have a conversation about it over there uh, as well. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. We talk a lot about... Um, different policies and uh, sort of the ins and outs of um, the uh, 1,000 days, the first 1,000 days of a baby's life. And we talk about what you can do to support breastfeeding moms. Even if you are not a breastfeeding mom, there's lots that you can do. How to begin the shift, uh, to shift the culture around breastfeeding i.e. how do we address the sexualization of women's bodies, one of my favorite topics. And also we talk about new dietary guidelines being developed for children under two and pregnant moms. So lots going on on The Well Woman Show. Definitely want to hear your story about advocacy and getting involved and voting. And um, so check out wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook and join the conversation in there. Now, here is my interview with Lucy Martinez Sullivan. I'm speaking with Lucy Martinez Sullivan this morning. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I um, have looked into your organization a little bit and I'm curious to hear more. As we heard in the introduction, you're the executive director of 1000 Days, an advocacy organization uh, in the United States based in Washington, D.C., working to improve maternal and young child nutrition. And um, Lucy, I want to get into um, all of what you're up to, but let's just start by giving listeners um a little bit of information about what are you working on right now and how does it impact women's lives? Absolutely. Well, um, so 1000 days, uh, we work on improving, uh, nutrition and the nutritional health of moms and babies, uh, both here in the United States and around the world. And we focus on the thousand days between pregnancy and a child's second birthday, because it's a really critical window of opportunity to impact a child's future health, uh, their brain development, and uh, to ensure that uh, societies um, are, are uh, more prosperous and uh, have greater equity. So um, in terms of what we're working on, we, we cover a range of policy issues. Uh, and one of the, the issues that has been in the news lately is breastfeeding. Uh, so we do a lot of advocacy uh, to promote protect and support uh, women to breastfeed uh, because we understand and we know from the science uh, that breastfeeding uh, provides a baby with the perfect nutrition uh, that he needs uh, for the first uh, several months of his life. Breastfeeding powers uh, baby's brain development like nothing else. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that breastfeeding plays a critical role in women's health. Yeah, no, definitely. So I have a background in women's health policy and, and I, a lot of the projects I've worked on include breastfeeding, if, if not, you know, directly, indirectly. And um, so it's, it's a super important topic that I, I think unless you're really in into it, like a breastfeeding mom or someone very close to a breastfeeding mom, I think there's still a lot of 
uh, sort of myths about it or bad information or just even the, the norm around feeding babies is still needing to shift. Exactly, exactly. Um, we, we very much uh, live in a bottle feeding culture. And um, I think that in part has been um, um, promoted uh, by infant formula companies wanting to sell uh, more products. And um, I think what's, what's really interesting is, um, you know, that there has been a great renaissance in the understanding of the importance of breastfeeding uh, for not only children's health and for children's survival, but also for uh, women's well-being. And that's something that you simply can't get out of a bottle of formula. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more about that and, and, and what that looks like. Yeah. And so just to to be clear, um, obviously, some women do need formula and and there's no judgment, at least on my part or on the on part of the show, there's no judgment on like women who do use formula or, or end up using formula or what have you. I think the conversation that needs to happen is really how do we shift the um, the thinking around breastfeeding so that more women feel empowered to actually breastfeed both, you know, just like the information for moms, but also the support systems around moms so that, you know, uh, grandmas and partners and other caregivers are also supportive. That's exactly right. It is about shifting that conversation and recognizing the the broader societal, cultural, and economic factors uh, that contribute to to women's decisions around how they choose to feed their baby. Um, You know, women need to be able to make choices that are best for them and their families. And some women choose to formula feed. Um, but in this country, far too many women have no choice but to use formula because they weren't supported because they don't have paid parental leave. They're going back to, you know, to work within two weeks after having given birth. They don't have uh, employers that are supportive of them, um, you know, pumping milk or, or, um, you know, having flexible, uh, schedules. And so it, we make it really difficult uh, in this country uh, for women to reach their breastfeeding goals. And part of the work that we do at Thousand Days is to try to uh, highlight some of the barriers that women face and knock down those barriers. Um, and paid paid leave is, is a big part of that. Uh, but so are hospital practices. What happens uh, when a woman gives birth at a hospital or maternity facility um, really does impact whether she can get a good start in breastfeeding her her baby because if you don't get a good start, it's hard to uh, keep going. Yeah, and and so many there's so many misconceptions and misinformation about um, you know how babies uh, should be fed, um, and I think that you know unfortunately uh, too many physicians don't understand. Uh, the physiology of of lactation, how to help women when they encounter problems uh, with breastfeeding, um, and that's that's a big part of it because, you know, breastfeeding we think of it as oh it's this natural thing that we should all just know how to do as women, but the reality um, is very different. Many many women encounter issues uh, breastfeeding, and I think it's important to acknowledge that understand that and then figure out kind of the game plan to help women uh, get the help that they need, get the support that they need. One of the things in, in this, sorry, in this country that has been a huge, I think, uh, help to women is actually was the Affordable Care Act uh, or Obamacare, which uh, allowed um, women to have access to, to breast pumps and uh, breastfeeding counseling and support services were now part of considered an essential health benefit and, and women um, you know had those services covered under insurance whereas uh, before uh, the Affordable Care Act those provisions were not mandatory at all and were um, you know quite the exception rather than the rule. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then also the the part about um, employers needing to provide a clean space to pump milk that's not a bathroom. That, that's been a big, big one. We, we've seen that, we, we saw that pass, you know, different states individually. And then um, it, now it's 
it covers the whole country, right? Exactly. That was actually a provision within the Affordable Care Act um, to to basically mandate that uh, large employers uh, do provide a clean non-bathroom place for women uh, to express milk. Now, it doesn't cover all workers because not all um, not all employers have to abide by that provision. And then though it's in the law, it's, you know, it's not necessarily followed by everybody. And, you know, certainly enforcement is a big question mark. Uh, but knowing that, that the, that there is that, um, expectation in place and that women can go and, uh, and ask their employers and their bosses for that, uh, is really important. It's part of the job that we need to do uh, to build that awareness that women uh, have, um, you know, have the right to uh, to a clean uh, non-bathroom place to to pump milk, yeah. um, and that's you know that's huge. Another interesting thing is. Um, you know, the laws around public breastfeeding only recently uh, did sort of the last, I think, two or three states uh, in the country uh, sort of pass laws making sure that uh, that women have the right to uh, breastfeed in public. Uh, so we think about, you know, kind of the norms around how we feed our children. The fact that breastfeeding was con- somehow considered indecent or uh, subject to indecency laws, um, you know, was is bizarre. And thankfully, we are starting to to move out of that paradigm and into a paradigm where we're seeing, uh, you know, more women breastfeeding out in in public. And that's that's really really important to change uh, the perception and the culture around around breastfeeding because yeah. for too long in this country it's been um, you know something that was uh, looked down upon in, in many circles and in, and in some communities yeah definitely I mean that let's just I think I'll be very direct and say you know um, women's bodies are sexualized in this country to the to a, a degree that is you know, unhelpful when it comes to trying to feed our babies. And so it's, it's shifting that as well. And so for all the listeners here, if you have been a breastfeeding mom or you are a breastfeeding mom, then you can totally relate to a lot of this. And if you're not a breastfeeding mom, you still have a role to play, which is to say uh, that, you know, you can support other breastfeeding moms when you when you talk to them, when you see them, if, if someone, you know, talks to you or needs support, there's a lot that other people can do that aren't directly breastfeeding themselves. And, um, and so that goes for that support system around the mom, but also then the broader, you know, the workplace, if you're a boss, if you have employees, you know, really think about, uh, do, are you complying with the, the, the law to, um, provide a clean, you know, space that's not a bathroom. And it doesn't have to be a dedicated space 24-7 that sits there empty until someone needs it. It can be used for other things. It just has to be available when she needs it. So That's um, exactly right. Yeah. So there's a lot that people can do in, in the support system, in the workplace, and then at the policy level. And Lucy, I want to hear about other things that you're working on. I know breastfeeding is a big part of of the thousand days, but what else, what other kinds of things? So one of the things that we advocate for at thousand days is ensuring that all families have access to healthy, nutritious foods. And for low income moms in this country, uh, that often means the WIC program, the women, infant and children program, as well as, um, the snack program or colloquially colloquially called the, the food stamps, uh, program and it's really critical that both mom and baby during those first thousand days uh, get the nutrition um, that they need and healthy nutritious foods uh, because during pregnancy what a mom eat is basically what a baby is eating and the nutrients that's in mom's food uh, really are the are the building blocks for that baby's brain that baby's muscles their organs and so much of what is happening during pregnancy is impacted uh, by a woman's nutrition and of course also by a woman's health both her physical and mental health so 
uh, ensuring that women have access to high-quality, comprehensive health insurance is another big part of our advocacy role. In addition to um, to the to the food aspect, um, uh, and then once baby is born, you know whether a mom decides to breastfeed or she has to use formula, we want to make sure that women have access both to the breastfeeding support um, that she needs, but also if she needs and she decides to use formula, for those families who struggle to afford formula, the WIC program is there. Um, and then finally, when, when babies start to eat uh, eat food, complementary food, as we call them, to complement either formula feeding or, or breastfeeding, uh, that they get you know healthy, nutritious uh, diets. And so that means a lot of fruits and vegetables. That means lean proteins. Uh, so we are very active in looking uh, at uh, the diets of infants and toddlers in this country. And um, I'm not sure if you know this, but the U.S. government is working on the first ever set of dietary guidelines for children under two and pregnant women. Uh, so we are tracking that process. We're meeting with different partners and stakeholders and we're trying to get uh, groups uh, interested and involved because we want these dietary guidelines to be based on uh, science and uh, really the, the process free from sort of the commercial interests that, that might be um uh, wanting to engage on on, on these dietary guidelines, uh, it's too important, uh, really, that that women and families, really in the in the United States, have um, sort of the the best information possible around what they should be feeding their children. And so, just to be clear, we've had dietary guidelines on other age groups, but this is the first time they're focusing on under two years old. Yes, that's right. So our dietary guidelines that are currently. Um, in existence, uh, start for from the age of two up. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the first set, and it it is scheduled to be released in 2020. Uh, so the dietary guidelines usually um, are updated every every four or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are we're tracking that process, and, and as I said, we're engaging um, different groups to to ensure that these uh, guidelines are the best they can be that are based on on science. And are you specifically include? Or, I'm sorry, are they specifically including the mom, the, the pregnant mom, in that? Yes. Or, or did you have to try to fight for for that to be included? No, they are including pregnant women in that, pregnant and lactating women. And so to try to understand what the nutritional needs of pregnant women are for not only for the baby's health, but of course, for, for the woman's own health and well-being. Well, I'm glad uh, to see that because for the longest time, it seemed that the focus was only on the baby. Like once the baby was born, then we, <clears throat> you know, then we have all kinds of information and all this. And and the the early baby days were you know, sort of excluded the mom. It was like a completely separate, you know, unit. (laughs) That's right. And actually it's so interrelated, clearly. It is. And that's something that we're trying to change. You know, here at Thousand Days, we talk about both the mom and baby uh, because they, without a healthy mom, there's no way uh, that you can have a healthy, thriving baby. I mean, that's just sort of the, the biological reality, but, you know, it's also sort of a, a reality that we have to really examine culturally in terms of the policies that we have uh, to support women, to help women, uh, and to empower women, uh, you know, to make the the best choices for themselves. Which sort of brings me back to back to breastfeeding because you know um, lactation is a part of a woman's natural reproductive cycle, mm-hmm. uh, so it's important that we uh, do everything that we can to help women breastfeed for their own health. So breastfeeding reduces a woman's risk of breast cancer. It reduces a woman's risk of ovarian cancer. Uh, It reduces a woman's risk of heart disease, diabetes, uh, and even postpartum depression. So it plays such an important role in women's health. Cardiovascular disease or heart disease is a leading killer of women in the United States. So whatever we can do uh, to help bring that that down, that rate down, is so important, which is why breastfeeding, you know, is such a critical piece of that puzzle. Same thing with breast cancer. Um, you know, it's the leading cause of death from cancer in women is breast cancer. Uh, so 
you know, we, we have these breast cancer walks and, and these marches and, you know, we need to find a cure for breast cancer. But until we find a cure, let's do everything we can uh, to minimize a woman's risk of developing breast cancer. And that's why women who choose to have babies, um, let's encourage them and try to support them as best we can to, to breastfeed. Yeah, it's such a fine line and a difficult message that uh, I find that you all are trying to work on because there's the message that you just shared, which is so incredibly important to try to really support women to breastfeed for all of these reasons, for the health of the baby, for their health and, and all the rest of it. And then at the same time, we don't want to shame women who didn't breastfeed and make them feel guilty and think that they've done something wrong. So it's like we want to we want to support them as well, um, but not dilute the message that, yes, breastfeeding is really important. That's right. There is so much guilt um, and pain uh, in in that conversation. And I think it, it goes to sort of the, you know, the. The, the cultural um, aspects of this of this debate. I mean, um, you know, breastfeeding is difficult. And when you don't have a support system around you, whether that's, you know, families or, or workplaces or friends or communities, that makes it that makes it all the more challenging. And when women fail uh, at breastfeeding for whatever reason, um, they blame themselves and, you know, add to that these messages that they hear you know, from, from organizations like ours, even that, Hey, you know, breastfeeding is really important and we need to do this and we need to help women, you know, and there are those individual cases. Um, and unfortunately they are, uh, you know, more common than, than we want them to be of women who just don't, um, you know, just don't succeed at breastfeeding. And then there are just women that choose not to, they have, they decide very early on, that's not something they want to do. And that's fine too. But I think what we're, we're trying to do is making sure is make sure that number one, women have all the information about the, the benefits of breastfeeding and the risks of not breastfeeding. And so make, make that informed choice. And number two, that they have the support that they need. You know, in this country, the CDC just came out with a, with a report that says, you know, four out of five women start out breastfeeding. The numbers are really high. So it shows that, you know, some of those messages are, are, are getting across that, yes, this is really important and the support is there maybe early on. So that's great. But the problem is that number drops um, dramatically in the first three months uh, after a baby is born. It drops to about, you know, 47% of women are already or you know, are, are breastfeeding a, a, their baby exclusively. So that means nothing else, no supplementation, no formula, no anything else um, at three months of age. So that indicates that mom has encountered problems, has had to go back to work, the breastfeeding just wasn't available to her anymore, or she simply decided she wanted to stop. Um, so that to me speaks to a lack of support when you have such a high number of women starting out, but then dropping off by three months, it, it's, it's sort of broader than just, um, I think, um, you know, individual decisions. It's probably decisions that are, that women sort of are forced to make because of, they didn't get the help they need. They didn't get the support they need, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. When they have to go back to work, it drops off for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So just to wrap up this part of the interview, um, what can people do? Like you're, you're working at the policy level and the advocacy level in Washington, DC, but what can all the people out in the, you know, like listeners right now, how can they get involved? Uh, well, I think the, the policy level, changing policy, changing systems, changing cultures, it's big, um, it's a big heavy lift and it takes, it takes all of us. Right. So I think, um, you know, number one, what are the, looking at sort of what are the, what are the policies, uh, that, ha- that can help support families writ large, whether we're talking about breastfeeding or we're talking about healthy, you know, healthy, um, diets and, uh, and ensuring that, you know, that people have access to healthcare, uh, and, and really kind of thinking about that and, and thinking about do we as a country, um, you know, support healthy, thriving families and, you know, do our politicians, uh, you know, that many of many of us are going to vote hopefully in November and, and think about, you know, who 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 is talking about 
helping families and helping families in this country succeed? And what does what do those policy proposals and ideas and positions look like? So I think that that should, you know, go kind of without saying. Another another thing um, that you alluded to is that we all have a role to play. You know, here at Thousand Days, we like to say nobody breastfeeds alone. And it's true. You know, whether you're a woman or a man or a grandparent or, uh, you know, a boss, uh, owner of a company, you can have uh, an impact on on ensuring that women are set up to succeed uh, when it comes to caring for their babies. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. Um, another thing is just changing the cultural norms, you know, what we see uh, and how we talk about um, about breastfeeding and how we talk about. Um, you know, the health and, and well-being of, uh, of babies. Um, you know, it's there are individual um, decisions at play, but, you know, breastfeeding is a public health issue. At a population level, children that are breastfed longer, uh, women that breastfeed longer are healthier. And so, you know, remembering that, yes, maybe you chose to, to, to formula feed your baby or, you know, you were formula fed like I was. And, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. But at a population health level, it's really important that we understand, actually, that this is a really critical thing that we all need to uh, support and show in a positive way. And I think we, we, we definitely see that on social media a lot more um uh, discussions around normalizing breastfeeding and a lot more uh, images of women breastfeeding and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that, you know, holding, you know, holding companies uh, also accountable, companies that make baby foods, infant formula, et cetera, for playing by the rules to, you know, for, for making sure that they are marketing their products in a responsible manner uh, and that their products are safe and nutritionally complete. One of the things that, you know, we've been watching is this, um, you know, this discussion around uh, some of the, the popular breakfast cereals that are fed to, you know, many babies and toddlers in this country, um, you know, containing, you know, high levels of uh, glyphosate glyphosate, um, which, you know, is potentially a cancer causing, um, uh, chemical. And so, you know, thinking about our food system and, and how we vote with our consumer dollars. And, um, that's something that everybody can do choosing to buy, you know, the, the products that, um, you know, are safest and healthiest for our families and holding companies account to, uh, delivering, you know, safe products to, yeah. to consumers. Okay, great. So Lucy, we're moving into uh, the segment called Superpowers for Success, where we talk to you more personally about you as a leader. And um, I'll ask you some questions. And really, the answers are, are meant to sort of help and uh, share your experience and inspire other women out there listening, you know, um, because you have reached a a leadership role in in your career and in your life that I think is interesting to to share with others. So the first question is, what does success in life mean for you? Wow, that's a big question. And I'm not sure I'm fully prepared to, to answer that. So I'm going to stumble through this answer. Uh, so I think for me, I, I started my career in, in business um, and started my career in finance and then moved into marketing. Um, and there came a point where um, I was probably in my mid-30s where I realized I wasn't doing work uh, that was aligned with my values. And that's when I sort of decided to switch gears. Uh, and I left my job and I, you know, I was working in the fashion industry in New York City at the time, very exciting. Uh, and I decided I'd, you know, go volunteer for a nonprofit organization working in sub-Saharan Africa. Now I had, you know, the ability to do that. I had the, the, the luxury of doing that. And many people don't, you know, can't just, you know, quit their job and, and go sort of pursue a, a passion or a dream. Uh, but for me, it was, I, I knew I would have to make trade-offs and sacrifices if I wanted to have a, a career and, a, and work uh, that was not just personally satisfying, uh, but that were that was aligned with my values. And to me, that's a big part of how I define my success. Am I doing something that is helping uh, other people, and am I doing something that's um, that's in service to to others? Yeah. So that's that's how I sort of look at that aspect of my world. Yeah. And then, I, oh, go ahead. 
Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I did see on your bio, and I was going to ask you, so I'm glad you brought it up, uh, that you had a, a background in business working for big companies, big Fortune 500 companies. And I, I thought it was an interesting transition that you made from that into the advocacy policy world. And um, and I love how you just laid that out because a lot of, a lot of women ask me this and, and the women that I mentor and work with ask me, you know, uh, about my career trajectory and, and it, you know, especially younger women getting started, they, they want to have everything planned out in a, in a straight line and it all makes sense. And actually when you speak to people later in their careers or mid-career, um, it's never a straight line, right? No. <laughs> it's, it's never a straight line. It's like, well, I, I got into this because, you know, and, and rarely, I mean, Sometimes we're working in the in the area that we got our degree in, but you know, not always. That's right. Um, I I didn't set out to um, to sort of be in the business world. I actually had a degree in political science, and you know, thought I would sort of pursue a you know a career in, in diplomacy because so I was interested in international affairs. And you know, and then opportunities presented themselves. You know, I, I had to make choices, um, and you know, my career took that sort of turn. And so, yeah, it's not a it's not a straight line. In fact, when people look at my bio or resume, they they're often puzzled. They, they don't see kind of a linear story until I sort of explain it and explain why I made those those choices. Um, so I I think part of it is also just luck and timing. Um, you know, don't underestimate the you know the importance of those two factors of of having sort of you know a lucky break. Uh, you know, which you know which I certainly did uh, in being at the right place at the right time or knowing the right people, um, and also just the the timing. Um, you know, for me, I I found. Uh, this opportunity uh, to start up Thousand Days and, and lead it at a time in my life where um, I, I didn't have children at the time, but then soon after I started uh, working at Thousand Days, I became I became pregnant, and um, and then I was going through that Thousand Day journey mm -hmm. myself. So I approached this issue from a very sort of intellectual standpoint. Um, and then, you know, as I, you know, became pregnant and then gave birth to my child and became a mom and I also struggled to breastfeed, um, these, these issues that I was talking about in an abstract way became very real, very yeah. personal. Uh, and that, um, you know, made me sort of, uh, see this role, um, not just from the intellectual standpoint, but sort of from the emotional or human yeah, standpoint. it became super personal. Exactly, exactly. And, and don't underestimate that either. I think, you know, approaching, you know, career decisions and decisions we make about our life, both with the head and the heart. I think we need both. Um, and when they're both aligned, I think that's when, you know, you're uh, going back to your earlier question about what success looks like and what success is that, you know, for me is another metric of, of success. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited, uh, that I'm able to, you know, share a little bit about how I got to where I got, um, and hopefully, you know, help and inspire others that are kind of thinking about, you know, their careers and their lives and what they might do to make a, to make a difference. Yeah. So Lucy, when did you know you were really good at what you do? Ooh, uh, I don't know that I, uh, ever know that I'm really good at what I do. In fact, you know, somebody uh, uh, said to me, you know, you, you let your imposter syndrome get the better of you. And it was, you know, I had heard that term before, but I've never heard it in a way that it was being referred, you know, it was in, ref in reference to something I was feeling about myself. Um, you know, I don't have a background in nutrition. I don't have a background in public health. Uh, but I work with people who are among the world's leading experts on some of these issues. And let me tell you, I often feel like I don't belong here. I shouldn't be in this room with these really brilliant people that understand this, yeah. this issue that have been researching this issue that under, you know, that know the intricacies of all of these things. And I just, I, I, I have struggled with that. 
if I'm being really honest. Um, but what I do know how to do is, um, you know, take complicated ideas and make them, you know, sort of make them a little bit easier to understand, uh, market them, sell them, promote them, uh, and, and use the, the platform that I have that I'm lucky to have, quite frankly, uh, to, to Oh, sorry. When did you figure out that 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 you were good at that? Like, when did you realize that you were good at that? Um, I think in this in my current job, it was um, or just you in know, your pro- life in your whole in my. In my life, gosh, yeah. I think I think I'm still figuring that out. I think I'm still figuring yeah. out what what I'm good at. You know, it, there wasn't. I wish I could say there was a moment that that you know things clicked for me. I do. I will say there was a moment when uh, it clicked for me that I wasn't doing what I should be doing. Yeah. Um, and you know that that was a very powerful moment. It was almost like an out of body experience. I was in a meeting and I was you know, being told that my job was to stress over every detail of this piece of garment, you know, this, this garment, I I wanted to, I needed to stress over every seam, every button, every zipper. And I thought, how did I end up here? How did I end up in this place where this was my purpose in life? And that was the, that was a, that was the moment where I thought I I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong field. I'm in the wrong job. I need to, I need to, you know, press the stop button, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're watching a videotape of yourself. Like, okay, let's stop it here. And right. now, um, you know, sort of try to do something different. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, um, you know, every day for me is, is a learning experience. And I never think, oh, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I know that I'm uh, good at, at getting other people on board with ideas. And that's really, really, really important, no matter what you do or where you are, um, you know, because whatever you're trying to do, um, chances are you're not going to be able to do it completely by yourself, especially when you're moving big boulders, like, you know, you're trying to push a policy proposal forward or a piece of legislation or try to get more funding. Uh, that usually takes uh, work from, you know, colleagues and partners and allies. And so that that's critical. Building coalition, building alliances, building partnerships is a skill set that I would encourage. And I think as women, we're we're naturals at that, right? We 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 understand relationships at a at a sort of d- different and deeper level than than a lot of men do. And so it's it's a natural talent that we have. Um, the one sort of piece of advice I would uh, provide your listeners um, is to say that as we're building, you know, partnerships and we're you know, we're building these coalitions and we're getting groups together and we're getting people on board, not to underestimate or undersell your own uh, role in that. And I think that's a mistake, certainly, that I've made in not talking specifically about my contributions, uh, because it feels uncomfortable, it feels arrogant or egotistical uh, to talk about what you did that led to success. But it's really, really, really important that you be your own best advocate, whether at the workplace or uh, as you're giving birth to, to a baby, um, you know, talk about you, what you need and what you've done uh, to make, um, you know, to make a, a, something successful or to bring an idea forward. Take credit. Um, I, I know it's that. not a natural thing. Yeah. yeah, I love that because, I mean, that's a lot of what I talk about on the show and a lot of what I teach and share is, you know, empowerment, right? Like using your voice, speaking up, taking credit, be, being visible, being heard. And and it's so important. It you can, It's important to do that in all areas of your life. Yes, so, exactly. Lucy, this um, kind of goes right into the next question, which is, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? <laughs> um, I think um, my superpower is being a compassionate mother. Um, that, and I then I bring that into my work. Um, so I I never thought of myself as kind of someone who would love babies and love motherhood as much as I do. Uh, it was, I, you know, I wasn't that, 
that uh, that little girl who grew up, uh, you know, playing with dolls and, and, and wanting to be the mommy. I wanted to be a diplomat or a lawyer or, you know, so many other things. Um, and I definitely prioritized my career, um, you know, in my 20s and in my 30s, you know, ambitious, etc. But I, I love being a mother. I love babies. And I, and I love sort of trying to understand uh, little kids um, and, and help teach them, right, about the world and about how they should deal with their own challenges. And I think that is a superpower that I bring not only to my family, uh, but also to my, to my work. The compassion uh, for other children uh, and other mothers. I mean, our work is not just focused on the United States, but globally, and some of the challenges that women face globally living in developing countries and in poor countries and poor communities, um, you know, I think that that is, um, I try to, to bring that compassion superpower um, into, into that work to try to understand what that must be like and to try to do everything I can to maybe try to uh, make uh, her life a little bit better and a little bit easier. Um, oh, I love so. that. Okay, yeah. and then can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being? And I ask this because so many leaders that I talk to, uh, you know, in order for you to show up the way you do in the world and do what you do, um, there has to be a certain level of, you know, wellness and well-being and taking care of yourself. And, and I think that it's important to share some of that with women who are wondering, like, how does she do it all? So, yeah, so what's a personal habit? Yeah, so my biggest piece of advice here is there is no balance. There is no work-life balance. That is a myth. Forget about that. And instead of thinking about balance, think about boundaries. And setting boundaries around work. And sometimes you have to do that, right? Sometimes you have to say, you know what? No, I, I from 430 PM on, I have to, you know, it's my second shift. I have to go home and be mom. And, you know, from 430 until 8 PM when my kids go to bed, there's no emails, there's no conference calls, there's nothing that intrudes on that time. And then the opposite of, is true. So, you know, if I have to leave my family on a, on a Saturday because I'm going on a business trip or I have to go speak at a conference, that's, that's, that's the boundary. And, you know, we, I have to negotiate with my husband or with my family on how, you know, how we manage childcare. Um, so boundaries, because balance, you know, it, it is, it sort of assumes that there are two equal parts and those equal parts need to be living in equilibrium with each other. Right. And that's just not, that's not the case. Sometimes, you know, if you have something urgent going on at work, that has to take the priority. And of course, you know, your family's well-being and health is always the priority in, in many respects, but you have to, you know, kind of put it in its place sometimes and, and to, in order to deal with other things. And so, you know, they're, they're not equal parts of, of life that need to be juggled. It's just how do you negotiate those boundaries and set those boundaries in a very, very clear way that everybody around you understands. Yeah. And no, I, I love that because balance, I always say balance is elusive. Like it, it, it's, it's that thing that like you can never really achieve because it's not, it's not real, you know? And um, so I, I like, and I, I talk about boundaries a lot. So I, I love that you brought that up. Um, what advice would you give your younger self, say 15 years ago? 20 years ago? Um, I would say have fun along the way. I think, uh, I think, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves as women sometimes, especially if we, we want to try to, you know, do it all, be it all, you know, be successful, uh, you know, look great, um, you know, have a great social life, travel, be interesting, have hobbies. And then of course, Oh, meet the perfect partner and settle down and maybe, you know, have family if you want that. Um, we put so much pressure on ourselves and I think, you know, just enjoying life, enjoying the ride. I know it's easier said than done, but that would be the, the piece of advice I would give my younger self, like have, have fun, have fun and enjoy 
the good the good moments and enjoy the absurdity sometimes of right. it all um so yeah um lucy what is your biggest challenge right now as a a mom and an executive director and everything else that you're doing i think the the biggest challenge if i'm honest is is this external environment this political environment that we're living in in this country I'll, um that both personally and professionally and let me talk about the professional part first uh, we're an advocacy organization, and part of what we do is to build the political will uh, for policymakers, whether in the U.S. or, or globally, to take action uh, to help support vulnerable, uh, you know, moms and babies. And it's hard in this environment where, um, you know, the the priority is not vulnerable people. In fact, um, you know, one could argue that the you know, they're the targets um, as we're as the United States is looking to cut its social safety net programs, as the United States is looking to cut foreign assistance programs that help, uh, you know, people in, in, in poor countries. Um, you know, that's that's difficult. That's really difficult. We've had to go on defense uh, instead of trying to work with different policymakers. And um, yeah, that's been a challenge. And I think personally, that's also a challenge because, um, you know, I think I look at what's happening in terms of the divisiveness uh, in this in this country and some of the ugly rhetoric against immigrants, I'm a child of immigrants, uh, and I and I want to teach my my children the you know why that is an important part of our history and our and our and our future as a country, um, and and I think about the kind of country that we are um, that we are currently and that we're becoming. You know, and I and I think about the what what is what is the United States that my my two little girls are going to grow up in? What does that look like? And am I doing everything that I can to to build a better country for for their future? Sort of, you know, politically, culturally, um, socially, and I I that causes me sort of a lot of anxiety and stress and loss of sleep at night sometimes. Mm. Okay, um, we are just about out of time. I have. Two very quick questions for you. Well, I don't know if they're quick, but <laughs> um, do you identify as a feminist? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's quick. That's quick. <laughs> Sometimes that's quick. it's a longer conversation. Um, okay, and then what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Uh, um, it's a book by Timothy Snyder called On Tyranny, and it's a very small book. Uh, but it's about it's history lessons, very short, concise history lessons um, around you know living in in authoritarian environments and how uh, we as Americans um, can can sort of be more cognizant and live in a way that um, resists the uh, creeping authoritarianism that we might be seeing in this country and certainly around the world. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I have that book. It's, it's <laughs> frightening. It's a little tiny book, isn't it? It's like a it little is. like a little pocket book kind of thing. It um, is, and that's why it's on my nightstand, because that's about all I can yeah. manage these days. Although that's a, that's a heavy kind of topic for right before bed, but I know it's... Little book, heavy topic. I think that's <laughs> right. the perfect combination. <laughs> well, Lucy, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. It's been great being here. Thanks for such an interesting conversation and challenging questions. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wellwomanlife. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.